when you hear the word power. You think of the, what it takes to run the lights and the heat and your gadgets. It's true. Do you think of your car engine's horsepower or, or lack thereof? You think of governmental power to rule and enforce laws. Do you think of athletic power? I don't know why you think about it on a day like today. Power to run and jump and tackle and run in beast mode. Power drinks. Power suits. Do people still wear power suits? People with great fame or influence, such as many of you. Military power. Dare I say Powerpuff Girls. We have a cheering section for them right over here. It's great. In our series through Paul's letter to the Romans, today we're talking about a power that is infinitely greater than all human power combined, and that is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Nothing can touch it. Only the gospel has the power to save people that they might live eternally. Now, I've asked you this the past couple of Sundays, so by now you should know, what is the gospel? And you can just spew this out, spit this out, really easily, right? You can say something like, the gospel is where God rescues people from his judgment and into peace with God through Jesus so they can live forever with him in his new creation. I knew you were going to say that. And uh, last week I I liked what we shared as well as as another way to sum up the gospel. is uh, God's holy stubbornness not to accept ruin and his outlandish generosity to put all things right through Jesus. God's holy stubbornness not to accept ruin, but to put all things right through Jesus. We're, we're just looking at two verses today. In Romans 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And this really sums up the theme to the whole letter. So let's look at these verses. Chapter 1 in Romans, verses 16 and 17. This would be a great memory passage. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. May God work his power in our lives through this passage. So last week we ended on verse 15. And we're starting with verse 16 this week. And in verse 15 Paul said, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so what he's saying in verse 16 is, For the reason I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome is because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would Paul be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? Why does he feel the need to even say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Well, in, in the culture of the day was high honor and shame culture, and so he needed to just say right up front, 
if shame is an issue, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And there, there would be reasons he could be ashamed of the gospel. Um, it's seen as a foolish message, especially in the sophisticated city of Rome of the day, where there was a lot of philosophical teaching that appealed to human wisdom. There were many slick speakers, slick orators, and um, there was a lot of um, things that made the gospel appear foolish. There were user-friendly gods who, who you could access a lot easier, statues that you could pray to and, and have the gods carry out your, your will, whereas the gospel sounds very lame to them. On the other hand, the gospel's call to faith in Christ alone as Lord and Savior was threatening to an empire where you could believe anything as long as you called Caesar Lord. And so that, that was a threat. And if you followed Christ and no longer believed your family's religion, that was seen as shaming the family. So for all these reasons, it would be tempting to alter or accommodate the message where it would be unpopular, foolish, or invite rejection or persecution. Paul had endured a lot of persecution for the sake of the gospel, so he, he had a lot to back up his claim not to be ashamed of the gospel. Today, the reasons we might be ashamed of the gospel are similar, right? The claim that you must believe in, in Jesus Christ to be saved is seen as intolerant, arrogant, and hateful of others. Our culture rejects any claim that there is anything that is true for all people at all times and all places, so it's no place for that message. Religion or spirituality is seen as only personal. It's just your personal thing, right? There's no overarching truth that you can plug into and say this is true for you, for you and for me and for all the nations. As long as you find personal meaning or help in it, what does it matter? But the gospel claims to be based upon real historical events, such as Christ's resurrection. As Paul writes in another place, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. If this didn't really happen, you're wasting your time. I can go on, but where in our lives are we finding ourselves ashamed of the gospel? Is there any place in your life where you are, are very explicit about your faith in Christ and in the gospel? It's easy to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, um, he gives the answer, why isn't he ashamed of the gospel? Because he knows the gospel is not just his own private spirituality. The gospel is not a man-made message based on a man-made story. It's not just principles as to how to be a better person. It's not self-help, self-esteem, or positive thinking. It's not cultural religious tradition. What the gospel is, is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes it, to all who are believing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, I think I have that on the screen, Paul says similar words, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. For us to, re to receive salvation, for us to be saved, requires the power of God. Nothing less can save us. We need the power of God to save us. Why not? And it's not just God's power in general, but the power of, of the resurrected Son of God. And that saving power only comes to us through the gospel. We can't find it anywhere else except 
the message of Christ. So to answer why only the power of God can save us, we need to ask, what does being saved mean anyway? What does it mean to be saved? We use the word to refer to keeping things for later use, like saving money. Anybody done that lately? It is. Or saving other items for later use. Every family has a saver and a and a get rid of a person. So we save some things too much. We keep other things we ought to throw away. We um, also use the word save in the sense of saving someone from drowning or from falling off a bridge or from the attack of a person who wants to hurt us or kill us. And it's in that sense that we're talking about save here. If, if you were to ask people what humans need to be saved from, how would they answer if you man on the street interview? Easy to think of how they would answer. Save us from environmental destruction, from disease, poverty, crime, war, terrorism, hunger. These are bad things, right? And God is going to save us from them. He is going to do that. He's got a plan and he's working it out. But there is a more fundamental problem or problems. In fact, the, the religion of our culture would, would not say we need to be saved spiritually anyway. You, you want to know what the name of the religion of our culture is? Be, be ready for this. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Anybody subscribe to that? Let me tell you what it is. First of all, it believes there is a God of some sort, a God with a small g. There's a God who exists, who watches over human life on earth. Moralistic means God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Good people go to heaven when they die. So that's moralistic. Uh, Therapeutic is the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And the deism is God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. That's the closest thing to the need for salvation. So do you subscribe to that religion? Moralistic, therapeutic deism. I check in with God when I need him. Otherwise, he's not really involved. What does Paul have in mind that we need to be saved from? Well, In chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says that through Christ we are saved from the wrath of God. That is, from his holy anger against sin. And being saved from God's wrath, we are also being set free or saved from sin, from Satan and death. Sin, God's wrath against our sin and death are by far our worst, most fundamental problems from which we need to be saved. Maybe we're ashamed that we're saying that's the problem. Because it's really not that popular to to say that that's what we need. The power of the gospel overcomes our unbelief and effectively calls us to faith. That's the only reason I'm here. The only reason I believed is because God overcame my resistance through the gospel. The gospel is God's gospel. It's the gospel of God, as Paul said in in verse 1. He doesn't just drop it in onto us saying, I sure hope some of these folks like my message. 
Well, the gospel is God's gospel. He is at work through it. Paul says in another text, when he preaches the gospel, it is God making his appeal through us. People say, if we could talk to God, what would he say? And they kind of speculate things that God would say. Hey, we're just all all right, and we we all have had unlucky breaks. Well, I know one thing God would say, believe in my son and be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's what God says. The gospel is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Isn't that great? To everyone who believes. The gospel is not just for certain kinds of people, those who are inclined to be religious, who have the religion gene, or who are highly educated or uneducated. It's not just for people who adhere to high moral standards or just for those whose lives are a moral wreck. The gospel is for all, and it is God's power to save everyone who believes. What does it mean to believe? It's to trust and rely upon God's provision of salvation in Christ as your only hope to be saved. One one person from a prior century said, faith is a kind of vessel like a container because we are incapable of receiving Christ unless we are emptied and come with an open mouth to receive his grace. What are you full of? that keeps you from receiving the grace of God? What's choking up your vessel? Faith is not a work that we do, but an emptiness that we seek God to fill. And it's a continuing faith. That's the sense of the words. The phrase, who believes, is a present participle. That's the most exciting thing I've said all morning, right? Wow. It's just talking about people who discontinue to believe in the gospel, believers. And interestingly, Paul says it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Jew first and also to the geek. Yeah, they can be saved. Talks, he, said, he uses the word Greek as a... Uh, it's just a catch-all word for Gentile because in that day, in that part of the world, primarily people spoke Greek and had Greek culture. What does Paul mean by to the Jew first? It means more than just the fact that the gospel came to the Jews first in history. Did the Jews actually have an advantage or advantages over us Gentiles when it comes to the gospel? Well, let's see. Paul is clear that in terms of need for salvation through Christ, he says this several times in Romans, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. So we all have equal need for the gospel. Yet Paul's going to devote much of chapters 9 through 11 to talk about how the Jews still have a unique place in the outworking of God's plan of redemption. The Jews were God's specially chosen people through Abraham. It was through Abraham's offspring that blessing was to come to the nations. They were entrusted with the Old Testament word of God. Paul always went to the synagogues first, or where the Jews were. 
in uh, chapter 9, he says of the Jewish people, theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Our Savior was a Jew. We were saved by a Jewish guy. Jesus said to the uh, woman in Samaria, salvation is of the Jews. There's no salvation apart from what God did in, through the Jewish people. In Romans 11, Paul writes that we Gentile believers are just branches grafted into the olive tree. Our spiritual heritage is Jewish. The gospel is for the Jew first as God's original chosen people, even though believing Jews and Gentiles are one people in Christ. There's no distinction. We're one body. And Paul makes it very clear, especially in Ephesians chapter 2. He says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the salvation of, of God's original chosen people. And given that we all have equal need for the gospel and that, and that we're made one through faith in the gospel, there is no place for either anti-Semitism or racism in the body of Christ. No place. And then in verse 17, Paul says, Here is why the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The verb is revealed is, is a present verb, and it, so it could be translated that the righteousness of God is being revealed. As the gospel is being preached and shared, he's saying as the gospel is spoken and taught and, and shared, God's righteousness is being revealed. So what does Paul mean by the righteousness of God? Does he just mean the righteous character of God? True as it is that God is perfectly righteous and just, that by itself is not good news. By itself is not good news. It's not the gospel. Given what Paul says in, in verse 18, I think I have that on the screen. The very next verse says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God brings judgment against our unrighteousness because he is perfectly righteous. That's the bad news from which we need to be saved. It makes the good news great. The reformer Martin Luther hated this phrase, the righteousness of God, when he was studying this text, and he took it to mean the righteousness by which God punishes the unrighteous sinner. We are not righteous. Last time I checked. We sin against God's righteousness in thought, word, and deed. He is righteous or just to punish us. But again, Paul is saying in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed how is this good news? The good news of this verse and the whole context of the letter to the Romans is this. The righteousness that God requires of us, God provides for us. The righteousness that God requires of us, He provides for us. That's glorious news. That's fantastic news. 
the righteousness of God is revealed can mean the way of receiving a righteous status, a right standing with God gives to believers is revealed in the gospel. The gospel just tells us how that happens. It can mean that. It can also mean God's saving action of making a right a person right with him is revealed in the gospel. It's God's power to save by granting the righteousness. And, and really the verse has both meanings. The righteousness of God that is revealed is both what God gives to us and the act by which he gives it. He, through the gospel, reveals, here's what I give to you, and I do it through the gospel. The gospel is God's power. It's not just words. We were righteousness deprived. We had no ability to remedy our, our rights, righteousness deficit. We couldn't get it at Costco. We couldn't get it from the government. It's like getting a computer virus or malware while we were doing bad things on the Internet. Our computer malfunctions. We have no idea how to remove the virus and restore functionality, and we don't have the ability. We realized we needed to put our trust in a tech support person in another land with a strange accent who has the right code for the fix and the ability to apply the code. Do you ever put tech support and gospel in the same sentence? Putting our trust in one who has the right fix and the power to apply the right fix leads to Paul's words that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. In verse 16, Paul had said that the gospel is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. So in verse 17, when he says the gospel saves because in it the righteousness of God is revealed, he again connects God's saving act to faith. He says in the gospel God's saving Righteousness is revealed from faith for faith. Many translations say from faith to faith. What does it mean that God's righteous, uh, saving righteousness is revealed from faith for faith or from faith to faith? It means that the only way that the revelation of God's gift of righteousness saves is by faith. That's the only way we get it. The gospel reveals God's saving righteousness and awakens faith and does its saving work by faith. And that faith continues to connect to the revelation of God's righteousness and is sustained and renewed continuously. We are saved and stand in right relationship with God only by faith and always by faith in God's righteousness provided in Christ as revealed in the gospel. We don't get started by faith and then start earning God's favor by our own goodness, spirituality, or religious diligence. Nor are we saved by a flash-in-the-pan faith. Um, I think I have this verse on the screen, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2, where Paul says, Now I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. You are, you are being saved by the gospel. You don't just grab a hold of it for a moment and say, Hey, got it. Okay, I'm on my way. You are continually being saved by the gospel. How? If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We stand in the gospel and are being saved by it as we hold fast to it in faith. Otherwise, if we turn away from it, we believed in vain. We didn't have true saving faith. We never stopped needing the gospel. We can never stop feeding on the gospel. We will desire it and we will find our spiritual health declining without it. 
Paul supports his, his um, claim that the revelation of saving righteousness of God is received from faith for continuing faith from, of all places, our favorite book in the Bible, Habakkuk. Wow, did Paul know his Bible and be able to reach into that and pull out a verse? He's good. He quotes from Habakkuk 2.4, the context of Habakkuk. And basically what he's saying is this is taught in the Old Testament. This is not like something I just started now. It's always been this way. The context of Habakkuk is that the Lord was going to use the ungodly Chaldeans to inflict judgment on his covenant people, Judah. Habakkuk questioned the justice of this since God can't approve evil and the Chaldeans were merciless. How could he use terrorists to destroy America? No, wait, that's a different subject. Um, How could he use the Chaldeans to discipline his people? They would boast in their strength and their gods if they defeated Judah. If God uses them to discipline his people, then aren't they going to say, hey, our God's stronger than your God? Come on, God, don't you care about that? Giving help to the competition? What do you do? What are you thinking? The Lord promised that the Chaldeans would eventually be judged as well. Chaldeans as Babylonians. The righteous person believes that the Lord God is supreme over Chaldea and is faithful to Judah, southern Israel, even though he will bring judgment on them for their unfaithfulness. The righteous person... Habakkuk is saying, will live by his faith in God's righteousness and faithfulness and trust him to save his people. So Paul says, that kind of faith is what I'm talking about. Trusting God no matter what, for his power to save. He says, a person who is righteous shall live by faith. The person who is righteous is one who has been saved by the power of God in the gospel. To be saved is to have life, to have eternal life. That's what we're saved for. Into the saved person who has received righteousness from God lives, has eternal life by faith. So the righteous shall live by faith confirms that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith because only those who receive God's revealed righteousness by faith and continue in that faith no matter what hard circumstances come are righteous and only the righteous shall live eternally. We have an incredible gift package. Righteousness and faith. We didn't have it by birth. We haven't lived it out because we didn't have it. God supplies it. We are, and having eternal life means we are under repair. An African mom was asked by her daughter, What is God doing all day long? And she answered, Mending broken things, honey. God is into mending broken things. Do you have anything that needs to be mended? A couple of you do. Let's not be ashamed of, the, of this great gospel. Christ bore our shame and overcame it for us. By his power, he provides victory over sin, death, and devil. When it looks like sin, death, and devil are winning the day, they're not. If you've received the power of the gospel. The hope of the powerful gospel makes us, and I love this phrase, so take take this if it helps you. Joyfully defiant toward every disappointment we endure in this broken world. 
The hope of the power of the gospel makes us joyfully defiant against every disappointment that we face in this world. Because God is at work, and there's nothing that undoes his work as hard as it is sometimes. The hope of the gospel and the triumphant power of our Savior make us joyfully defiant toward our own sins and failures. So have a great week being joyfully defiant against your struggles, against your sins and failures. Join me as we do that together. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. It's really, really good news that you are, it is good news that you're a righteous God. We don't have a capricious, evil God, a hypocritical God. We have a God who is righteous. And through our distorted vision, sometimes it doesn't look that way. But in your righteousness, you've made a way to redeem us into the righteousness of your Son. And in that, Father, we have complete confidence that you are about mending broken things. Would you grant the grace of mending to us? You have already granted that to us in Christ, but would you cause us to know that that's what you're doing and that together as we encourage one another through your word and through serving one another and as we pray for one another, as we pray for ourselves, as we seek your gospel freedom in our lives, Cause us to be joyfully defiant against that which Christ is gaining, has gained the victory over for us and is shaping us and preparing us, Father, for that day when there will be no more sickness, pain, sorrow, suffering, evil, death, terrorism, war, sin. We long for that day, but in the meantime, we by faith, to faith, by faith for faith, we look upon the gospel, which is your power for our salvation. Thank you, Father, for saving us powerfully and certainly. In Christ we pray. Amen.